welcome to Wildberry Podcast. I'm Kat and I'll be having conversations with fellow plant enthusiasts about how their passion for plants and flowers has evolved over time, whether that's through study and training, growing a business or simply developing their knowledge for personal interest. I hope you enjoy the podcast and it provides you with some wisdom and inspiration. Today, I spoke with Lily, a horticulture apprentice and RHS student who loves to share her experiences of all things plants and garden related. You can follow Lily on her Instagram at Lily Gardens. So um, I first got into plants when I was very young. I think like most people, I, I had a childhood where I spent a lot of time outdoors Um and I travelled a lot, so my parents um, moved us around the world um, from when I was a baby. Um, so I lived in, I think, about 11 different countries by the time I was 18. Um, and that just meant a lot of moving and getting used to new places. But the places that we went to were like Malawi, Kenya, and we even lived in the Caribbean. We lived on an island um, called Sabre, a very small island in the Dutch Antilles. Um, and they were all very... Um, I don't know it was outdoor lifestyles so we'd have quite big gardens to run around in um, and that's kind of where it that's where it started I think Um, it it was quite natural it wasn't one of those things where I think some people they have that connection with it and they think this is a career I'm going to pursue this um, as my job Um, but I didn't see it like that because it was just part of my life so I just thought oh no that's just it I just I love being outside, but I'm going to get like a proper office job. And, you know, um, I didn't really see the possibility of it becoming a career um, or following it with the passion I have now um, until I started doing a, I went on a safari guiding course. So um, when I was, I think I was 17 still, um, I'd finished school um, and I'd got into the uni I wanted to get into and I had about six months to kill. Um, because I was going from a British curriculum to a South African curriculum um, and they start at a different time in the year so I had about six months um, and I found this course it was a yeah nature guiding course based in South Africa um, and I went on it and it was it was amazing there was so much botany um, content in there so we of course we um, we looked at the animals that was obviously the focus because you're meant to be showing um, guests around um, a national park and obviously everyone loves the big five but for me I found that when I was doing my tours and when I was doing my practice runs I was constantly just talking about the plants and I was talking about things like the burns and like how they used to do controlled burns and how they used to manipulate the plant life to protect the animals which I always found very interesting um, so they literally used they used plants to prevent poaching which I thought was just fascinating and that's kind of where it started but I'd already enrolled in this course. I already got into this course in journalism. So I had to kind of put that on the back burner. Um, And then eventually it took me a long time, but then I realized actually I need to go back to what I really liked. So I got back into the gardening um, and yeah, I've been lucky enough. I got onto an apprenticeship pretty much within a month of deciding I wanted to um, pursue this as a career. Um, And it was, yeah, ever since then, it's been, it's been great. (laughs) I've been uh, really enjoying um, working on my own garden I recently got a garden um, I was living on a narrowboat uh, and there wasn't obviously much space definitely not a garden um, 
yeah so now I'm now I'm on now I've, I've got a garden that needs a lot of work um and I'm halfway through my horticulture apprenticeship and I should end this year with my um I have a level two quality I'll have a level two qualification in horticulture but I also will be pursuing independently the RHS level two they're pretty much the same qualification it's just sticking that RHS um on top of it really <laughs> yeah um so are you where, whereabouts in the UK are you are you based I'm in London at the moment yeah. so are you yeah. you're attending do you attend college then for your apprenticeship or is it all yeah yeah, so I do four, four days in at work and then one day is college. Uh, lately, it's been a lot of online, um, which isn't my favourite way to learn, but, you know, we, we deal with it. Um, <laughs> uh, it's kind of just everyone's having to um, push through. But, um, yeah, so I do I do one day at college. I'm at Capel, yeah. Capel Man College. Um, yeah, it's great. I love the academic side um, as much as I like the practical. It's, it's a really good balance, actually, because yeah, you, yeah. yeah. So what is the actual, what's the course title again? It's, I think it's um, level two horticulture operative. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll be, I'm hoping, I think probably in June around then, um, I'm going to be putting myself through the RHS level two because it's, we cover all the same content, especially in theory and practical. We cover, I don't know, tenfold. Um, <laughs> we do so much practical stuff on the rest of, um, on those four, four other days in the week. Um, essentially it's just a little bit of revision just to make sure that we're at the same level as the RHS qualification um, and then yeah that should be that should be fine um, to pass so yeah I'll have two qualifications both equal in <laughs> um, I think they're both equal in kind of the content that's in them it's just yeah it's good to have that RHS behind yeah. you I think yes I'm I think I'm going to sign up to the RHS course this year actually I've been thinking about it for a while um, completely remote um because yeah. I, can't, I work I work four days a week so I don't think I could um I don't know if I'd be able to attend a you know a college course I'd have I think I'll have to do it remotely which you know fits around my life I suppose yeah um so what's your end game then what will this um what will this course what kind of jobs will it qualify you to do so um, after this, and um, there's a few things that I've been told that I need in order to be a very employable gardener. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's and these are just the basics is the um, level two RHS or otherwise level two qualification, um, the PA one, which is the pesticides um, one level is yeah. a theory. I'm, I have my own opinions on the use of pesticides, which I think <laughs> a lot of people who do this course um, would probably agree yeah but ultimately to make yourself employable it's just that thing you've got to have on the cv but um so pa1 which is the theory then pa6 which is the actual practical um pesticide application um and then also a driving license which unfortunately due to traveling so much i found really difficult to get yeah. <laughs> um because i was always in um places where i had to do all these extra steps to try and get it so now that i'm in london i'd actually started I i'd had i I'd had, I think, five driving lessons and then um, COVID came along and it's just like, oh, God. Um, yeah, but it's fine. I'm it's it's very much just passing the test. I think um, I can I can drive. I've you know, my parents have like let me. It's it's silly. Also, when you're in London, you kind of forget the need to have a driving license yeah. because it's so rare to have a car here and you just use public transport. But basically, I've got about, I think, five things I need to um oh and first aid which isn't a requirement but um we got earlier this year so yeah so I think once I've once I've got those things I should be employable as a gardener in any setting really um 
But what I want to actually do is um, go a little bit more down the academic route. Um, so I'm going to pursue level three um, of ornamental horticulture. Um, and I might do that through the RHS. I might do it through Q. Um, it depends who will take me. I mean, obviously, the dream is to, what, to get on the Q diploma. Yeah. Um, but I realise how competitive it is. So um, I'm just going to be applying for everything I can. I want to get into either level three um, or I'm considering going back to university and actually just doing a, um, a plant science and soil science degree. Um, this is kind of my stepping stone. It was my way of realising what I really wanted to do. Um, and it's it's good because I can it also means that if I did decide to pursue the academic thing and um, go back to university, I've got my little part time job I can do because I've also got the qualification to garden. So um, that's kind of that I've got no solid thing like I, I have interests. I'm very interested in um, uh, like environmentally friendly approaches in horticulture. That's something I'm quite passionate about um, and like the social like community gardening, I think is really important. Um, there's a few things I'm interested in and also like the naming of plants. Um, so etymology of plants, um, but I've been going to lots of the KMIS, the Q Mutual Improvement Society um, seminars because I'm trying to find that thing that kind of sparks that interest um, because I'm interested in everything, but <laughs> horticulture is so broad that um, you kind of do have to find your little area in it um try and find that little thing um yeah, yeah so I, I was I was looking into um mycorrhizas recently because I heard a seminar um through KMIS about uh, mushrooms and I got a microscope for my birthday which I've been using and like just looking at sample slides and things like that so it's very broad but yeah. hopefully um it just I just want to go down the research route um and I'm quite interested in drought um drought tolerance um, in particular I, I spent a lot of time in Cape Town and that's where my husband's family is based and where we hopefully will end up at some point um, and they have some really really bad issues with um, droughts um, and water scarcity so I'm really interested in finding ways to um, help with any I mean gardening but also like agriculture in um, like drought ridden areas and ways we can do that plants we can use um, new methods of growing that we can use it's very broad at the moment and I think it's because I've only been doing this for a year I think it takes time to really find that niche that you're going to be dedicating your life to really. I think it does and I think I mean I've I'm still pondering what I would like to do I know I want to work with plants and flowers but um, I first my first interest was floristry really mm. um, although I did work I did work in um, a local park as an educational um, what was my job title again just an education officer environmental education officer and I didn't have any um, experience before that um, I just you know trained as a primary school teacher and then went straight into that environmental job um, but yeah it was, it was it's really interesting I really like your podcast where you talk about working in the space and all the funny things that you see yeah. and like the what you see because it reminds me of when I worked in that park and it does kind of open your eyes to what things go on in a public space. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's quite, it can be quite chaotic at times, but I think it's, it's so, it was so new to us because we'd, we'd worked in similar environments, but not quite the same. Um, and I do think that most of the learning you do when you enter an industry that's completely removed from things you've done in the past, 
yes, there's a lot of theory and yes, there's a lot of practicals and you might have to learn about machines. Oh, excuse me. <clears throat> you might have to learn about machines and all sorts of stuff, but the biggest learning is the people you're working with yeah. um, and kind of getting to know how people operate in different industries. Um, because there's definitely, um, I mean, I was working in um, a bookshop before. I, I got a job in Waterstones when I didn't know what I wanted to do. And it was such a different environment to go from a bookshop where like I was I was working with people who were like going on like, I think someone went to do a master's in poetry um, at Durham and all, you know, it's a different world. Um, yes. And it's like very like arts oriented. Um, not everyone was in the arts, but a huge chunk of people were in the arts um, who were working in this bookshop. And then to go to um, a kind of quite labor intensive job like yeah. that, um, it was a huge it was a huge shift. And that was part of the learning. And yeah, I think I think the experience you get isn't always it's not really textbooks. I think the textbook thing is so minor when you really see <laughs> everything yeah. you have to take on. Yeah, and I think, yeah, again, it's managing, seeing how a public space is managed that's really interesting mm. isn't it and you know yeah. how, and you have to deal with members of the public as well or, or what they do um, in that space which can be quite interesting yeah I mean every day is every day is interesting um every day is different <laughs> that's for <Yeah>. sure <laughs> um and sometimes sometimes it's quite challenging but um yeah I mean ultimately we're doing this for two years we're there for two years and um getting everything we can getting the qualification and then we're going to be out you know we're, we're not going to have that buffer of working with people who are teaching us and we kind of have that time to learn we're really given the time to to kind of hone the skills we've got um then we're going to be out on our own we're going to be looking for jobs as gardeners and that's quite terrifying um yeah but exciting at the same time yeah what kind of setting would you ideally like to work in as a gardener i'd love to work in um a botanical garden i mean i wanted to go i do still want to go down the research kind of path um but i'm really interested in um botanical gardens because you're kind of part of that even if you're just working in them um and you can kind of see the i don't know just watching i was at q yesterday actually i was at q um um just having a wander around and um and it was it was just amazing to look at the new things that are happening there and it's always changing and yeah. it's so interesting to be able to especially like reading the um the kind of information like plaques they have um it's just it's just so there's so much going on there um it's full of knowledge there's so much going on behind the scenes as well which I didn't realize until yeah. I started doing these like K-Miz seminars and there's all these scientists who are like yeah no I work at Q I'm a scientist um, or I'm doing my PhD at Q and I was thinking there's so much knowledge here just that that's the thing that I love about horticulture is there's so much to learn um so I'd love to go into that kind of setting. And I mean, my dream place to work would probably be the Kirsten Bosch Gardens in um, Cape Town. Yeah. And they're just, they're just stunning. Um, but at the same time, I, I mean, I don't mind where I, I work because the more broad um, like experiences I have and um, working in all sorts of different gardens, the better. Um, yeah, but I do definitely have my like dream gardens. Um, yeah. <laughs> Are you, are you more interested in like non-native um, plants then? I mean, I I haven't really learned. The thing is, I've because I've done all the learning I've done um, about plants, aside from that, um, that nature guiding course I did in South Africa, apart from that, um, all the plants I've learned about are um, tend to be um, native or very naturalised in um, the UK. So a lot of these plants like 
once I started learning them, I saw them everywhere <laughs> and they're just all over the place. Um, and it's because they're very commonly used. And this is probably just also in London because they're very commonly used by councils in London. So I'd find myself learning a plant name for one of my plant ident tests. Yeah. Um, and then the next week I'd be like, are there any other plants here? Because all I'm seeing, <laughs> all I'm seeing are, um, you know, like a cube of japonicas yeah. everywhere. Um, and yeah, so I think I've, spent a lot of time now learning plants that are either native or yeah very naturalized heavily naturalized in the UK yeah. um but the things that fascinate me are there are some just amazing plants and because I'm interested in things like drought tolerance um yeah those those kind of plants um really fascinate me and I I love um rock gardens I spent ages yesterday when I was at Kew in the rock garden um I think it's their South Africa and South America um section because it's split into regions um and that is my my kind of I naturally kind of gravitate towards those kind of plants um yeah so again I'm still trying to find that that kind of interest but I do find myself kind of going that way and one thing I noticed is um at the rock garden yesterday it just the way it was done it just reminded me so much of South Africa they've really hit the nail on the head with that that design it was just perfect it actually looked like it looked like the top of table mountain um which coincidentally my grandfather-in-law designed <laughs> so I do have that connection to gardening which I didn't even really realize um but yeah like I mean that's kind of what I gravitate towards I think um and I think eventually that's what I'm going to be focusing on but um but yeah at the moment it's open and to be honest I can look at any plant and see like something like really beautiful in it um so yeah I think it's just because I'm I'm early into it really I'm still so new to it. So do you really like indoor plants? It's funny, I'm not, I don't really have lots of indoor plants. I, and I, I, on Instagram, for example, I follow loads of people who, um, who have loads of indoor plants and love house plants. Um, And while I do, I think for me, my love of gardening is about being outdoors. Um, So I do have, I have maybe three or four indoor plants. Um, and I love them, they're great, but you like I, to see I the natural of, environment. Yeah, I like to see them outdoors. I like to kind of I love being outdoors and getting a bit muddy and you know, wearing like <laughs> wearing horrendous clothes because I'm gonna get them covered in mud. And yeah. that's kind of that's what I like about gardening. Um and, and just being in the fresh air. So yeah. while I like house, I mean, for example, I don't we don't have any house plants in our room. But we do have them in the kitchen so it's not like it's not the same way like some people I've seen some beautiful setups where their bedrooms are completely covered it's like a jungle yeah. and while I, I love that I don't know if I could do it because for me that's it encourages me to go out in the garden because if I want to do gardening and if I want to see my plants I have to go outside um which suits me because that's yeah that's why I love it I think it's quite a specific skill caring for houseplants, isn't it? Because Definitely. you're caring for something that's really not in its natural environment. You have you can try and replicate it, but you can't entirely do that. Um, I'm not that good with houseplants, to be honest. Um, I like them. Um, I've definitely got a few cactuses and succulents, but mm. they're not. They're never thriving with me. Um, Yeah, I mean, mine, I tend to kind of forget about them a little bit. And then when I go back to them, it's almost like they've miraculously survived. And I'm like, oh, thank God. (laughs) Um, So like, it's usually, um, yeah, I don't, I I wouldn't say I put as much, I don't put as much effort into my house plants because it's kind of like, 
they add a little bit of greenery to the indoors which I love but outdoors is where you know um, what I love but I think I think that um I think you're completely right it takes it takes so much work and seeing the the work that people go to to keep their plants not just alive but thriving and looking yeah. amazing um and and having almost like a tropical kind of indoor setting um but they're based in like a really I don't know, like a really arid area for example I mean you've basically you've created a um a mini ecosystem um in your home which is just yeah really interesting like the I mean the lighting as well and using like um plant grow lights um it's something that I need to do more research into because it's so interesting I know I know it's used on like a commercial scale in um in like commercial um glass houses but it's not something that I realized that you know you would do small scale in your own home and I've seen people doing it lately and I just think it's just it's just amazing like the 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 growing and the um this the sowing I don't really do a lot of seed sowing um just because I didn't really have the space and now I do I have like a little greenhouse outside so I'm gonna be trying all these tricks um I might get myself some lights as well but it's just yeah there's so much and this is what I mean about there's so much to horticulture like you can go in any direction with it yeah. I mean even in the house plants there are thousands thousands of ways that you can do yeah. the house plants and you could research house plants and yeah it's just amazing yeah it is and yeah I like I said before I don't really know which way I'm going with it really I'm just learning all the time um, yeah so I, I had that job in um as the environmental education officer and yeah that was like obviously a public space with um some formal gardens um and then after that I just I did a floristry course because I was really interested in um you know arranging flowers it was not long after I got married and I enjoyed arranging my own flowers mm -hmm. but then after that I um started growing trying to grow my own flowers for cutting and I just really enjoyed the growing process yeah um so that's what I'm kind of focusing on now um I had an allotment for a while but now I'm try just trying to do what I can in my own garden but I don't really know where I'm going with it to be honest I, I, I like I want a career working with plants and flowers but I don't really know what what it is yet and people say to me oh you really need to you know just focus on one area and stick with it but I'm, I just don't know what that is yet. Yeah. yeah I think I think you can you can get in your niche too quickly because I think my one of my biggest fears after doing something where you know I was and I was very passionate about my first career my journalism yeah. um career I was very passionate about it at the time um and I loved it but I get so nervous that I'm going to get myself in a niche too quickly again and I'll be finding myself again like five years ten years down the line thinking oh maybe I didn't maybe I I shouldn't have jumped in so quickly and I shouldn't have narrowed all my options down so fast um I don't think there's any harm in keeping it open and and I think you know it's things you naturally gravitate towards yeah. um that are always like in the same way that as a child I naturally gravitated towards being outdoors and I enjoyed you know um looking at plants and I was always I was always um getting in trouble at, at school for like um taking plants out the ground and like splitting them up and I wanted to look at all the different parts of the plants and like um just basically destroying people's gardens but like just taking things I just wanted to look at all the different parts and look at the leaf and look at like um the stamen and all the different parts like of flowers in particular um and that's something that I didn't I didn't notice at the time I wasn't obviously when you're like five you're not thinking ah career but but um but that's something I naturally gravitated towards so I think you know it makes sense to me now that I'm 
spending my evenings looking at a, like through a microscope at the stem of a plant like you know that that makes total sense because that's essentially what I was doing when I was a child so I think sometimes you just you go there naturally but there's yeah there's always the like you second guess yourself a lot of like oh maybe it's not right maybe you know in gardening depending depending what you do but gardening just um like being a gardener so like the job <clears throat> excuse me the job um I I'm likely to get after this with the qualification I have you know it's not exactly a lucrative um career to have like it's not I'm it's not something that's going to earn loads of money but that's not the point and that's not the thing that I was aiming for yeah. but that's something that definitely made me question whether or not I should pursue it initially um and I thought oh I don't know if I could go down the gardening route because there's this pressure to you know um to live a certain lifestyle um and again it's I think it's pushed by um like on Instagram for example and social media you're seeing all these people like I'm seeing my friends um <clears throat> one of my friends was made into um a, a partner at a law firm and I was thinking wow I'm one year into becoming a gardener um and this person's been made into like you know this yeah it's it's difficult because because I don't really care about those things but you're kind of conditioned to think that that's important yeah I think um, because of, especially because of like you said Instagram and social media um mm. I definitely yeah it does make you feel a certain pressure even though you, you don't want to I don't know you don't want to be oh, I can't yeah it's it's really tough because I think I think I'm and I'm not really bothered about I'm really not bothered about that stuff but it definitely it, it made me question because I thought journalism that's good I mean depending how well you do with journalism you can you can get by like you can do quite well obviously it's not it's not the best <laughs> but you know it, it's doable but I didn't even consider gardening because I was like it can't be a career that would sustain me um but it can be depending what route you take so people sorry to interrupt go on no, no, I was just going to say it just it, those perceptions of certain industries um, put people off and like, especially um, like very practical and um, like, I think I don't know if vocational is the right word, but um, those kind of careers, people are often put off by them because they think, oh, I'm, I'm not going to be like, you know, um, successful, whatever that means. And um, and it, oh, it's so sad because I think a lot of people would, I think if, if you said to a lot of people, you can do whatever you like um I don't think a lot of people would stay in their jobs um if you could do whatever you wanted and there was no kind of monetary influence for example I I don't know if loads of people would stay <laughs> doing the jobs they're doing they might just pursue their their hobby full-time and that's yeah. the decision I've made I'm going to pursue my hobby full-time yeah. so yeah but it is it is tricky it's not always the easiest thing to do I feel the same way because um I've worked in education for 10 years now and I do work part time, so I don't I don't earn much money anyway. But I sort of think, well, florists don't earn a lot of money, or and I just think um, it's it's job job satisfaction over money, really, mm -hmm. isn't it? Um, but I do also think that people in in the times we live in make money out of different, very you know, multiple streams at once. Definitely. So, you know, you could potentially combine your use your journalism skills to write about gardening, couldn't you? Yeah. Thought about that. Exactly. Uh, I mean, and everything. I and I don't regret any decision I made along the way to get to this point because they everything I did equipped me with certain skills. I mean, even even my first retail job equipped me with 
certain skills it gave me a bit of confidence speaking to strangers like you know and then um, working in a bookshop meant I was exposed to loads of nature writing books and I found some really good nature writers you know journalism gave me writing skills and actually um the I did radio I actually did I worked um in one of my projects at university um we did a radio we did six months on radio and then six months on tv for our journalism course and um I was the anchor for a radio show for um it was one episode but you know now I've got a podcast yeah. um so, you know everything you do gives you those skills and at the time it might not seem relevant at all um but yeah and you're right about the multiple streams I mean the way that people earn money is so different now um and that's and I mean when you look at like houseplants just as an example working with houseplants is a huge thing now yeah it's, it's massive and even just gardening because of the pandemic I mean I've been speaking to people I work with about it and um, they know people who work in the industry you know they own their own like gardening uh, companies or they like freelance as gardeners and um, they were saying that the last few months have been incredibly I mean especially in like summer and autumn um, an amazing industry to be in because so many people are working from home now that they're looking at their garden going I need to do this up because I'm going to be looking at this garden all day when I work from home so you know just because an industry isn't necessarily like thriving now doesn't mean it won't in the future and like also just get in <laughs> get into it now um and yeah yeah i think the horticulture industry is is thriving in lots of ways isn't it yeah i mean there's so there's so much and there's so much variety um and there's it's also because i think things that are connected to environment yeah. um are always going to be things that are very directly connected to environment and um community are always going to thrive in in a certain way um because it's changing so often um and our methods um of work are changing so often in horticulture um you you could specialize in um uh you could specialize for example in um i know someone who's growing seeds in sand he's got this whole method he uses he grows seeds in sand he's got a setup he's doing it in his room he's one of, he's actually one of the apprentices on my course he um and he's set up this little growing station and i was thinking like you know you could be the future of growing because you're doing it in such an environmentally friendly way and that's what we're moving towards everything we're doing like we're even looking at things like bedding bedding schemes we're kind of moving towards a more environmentally friendly approach yeah. um and yeah it is it's definitely it's definitely thriving there's um yeah there's and there's so much and there's so much we have to kind of work on as well um there are things we currently do that aren't the most environmentally friendly and i'm thinking about pesticides again um and like in particular spraying pesticides um there's things that do need to change so are there yeah. more, have yeah. you learned about more eco-friendly way to manage pests then have you learned about that on your course yeah so even the application method um so so obviously i would in my personal garden i think it's important to make the distinction between like your personal approach and your professional approach so if i was working for someone and a client said i need you to take i need you to remove the weeds from this paving and i'm only going to pay you for an hour it might not be possible to take those weeds out by hand it might be it might it might only be possible to use that option but i would i would completely avoid doing that personally um, like my personal opinion is i would ask for more time and i would you know pursue that in a different way but um what i've noticed is that the the application method 
it's it can completely change the impact it has. So when we learn um, when we learn about um, spraying pesticides in our PA1 in the theory side, um, you're kind of using that box that's on your back and you pump it and then you spray um, and you have to calibrate the um, your pace. So you have to do a few walks and kind of calibrate how fast your pace is compared to um, how much you're going to be spraying. Um, there's a whole calibration thing. But I and also you're not meant to um, apply spray pesticides in certain weather if it's really windy. Um, if it's um, if it's raining, obviously that doesn't help. But um, I think spraying is a bit mad because you're obviously putting a, um, a large volume onto a large surface. So you're putting a large volume of pesticides onto a large surface. Some approaches, which and this is the one I think is probably most if you have to use pesticides. Um, or herbicides or fungicides I think they use like a, it's almost like you put it on like a cotton bud or you put it on like a little cloth it was I saw a picture of it, it was almost like a stick with like a little cloth on the end and yeah. you dip the cloth in the thing you need and you apply it to that one leaf that needs to be treated yeah and I think the smaller we get the area that those things are applied to the better um obviously there's a lot of environmental regulations um, the thing that concerns me with pesticides is regardless of having um, the environmental regulations of like buffer zones when you're working near water, um, doing environmental assessments every time and having like a, a kind of um, like there's almost like a triage, like a triage thing of like if something happens, you contact this agency or you contact the environment agency. There's all these steps that you take if something happens. But what concerns me is that every year um, the list of acceptable pesticides that can be used is updated because lots of them are proven to be too damaging and I think that really concerns me because it means that year to year we're just making arbitrary decisions whether or not this one thing is safe to use but it obviously wasn't safe to use if in the new there's a massive handbook it's like it's like two inches thick full of the pesticides herbicides and fungicides um, and like wetting agents that can be used um, that really concerns me because it means that we it wasn't safe last year, um, but we've only, the decision was only made, you know, at this like arbitrary time, and suddenly oh you can't use that anymore. So, I do think we need to kind of interrogate. Yes. How we how we you know use that? I've seen I've used lots of approaches that have been um, natural. I never I've never used pesticides um, in my own garden or uh, my have, own garden projects. I I did buy. Um... Nematodes. Oh yes, yeah. Is that um? Yeah, I think I was growing. What was it for? Was it for my chilies? And it was to get you know to get kill the slugs essentially or get rid of them. Um, is that a, a more eco-friendly way? Yeah. So um, I think there's a split. So um, there's a chemical which is obviously pesticides. Yeah. Um. Um, and other other chemicals aren't necessarily pesticides um, or um, herbicides or fungicides. And then there's also um, biological, which yeah. is that it's using um, a biological approach, um, using like a parasitic approach, so parasitic wasps or nematodes. Um, and I really I quite like nematodes. And I think it's more just because they're <laughs> they're quite vicious, and I quite like it. I like the idea of like, yeah, um, it, yeah, it's like you don't see it happening you can't you're not going to witness it happening but you know that under the soil for example there's something happening there where that pest is being taken care of um 
but so you've got nematodes which are biological um and then you have physical which is just getting on your hands and knees and weeding out yeah. um yeah um and then there's cultural as well and cultural is more um kind of creating a, a it's it, yeah it's basically a culture of taking care of that space so um it's weeding little and often um not letting it get so bad that it's it, the only option is to use pesticides or the only option is to spend hours doing it um but then as always the best approach is it's it's called an integrated approach so um use all of those that you need that work for the site you're working on um so i think cultural approaches are um what i would go for just creating that culture kind of um using certain plants this is um this is biological but to use plants that attract um that attract the pests that you're trying to eradicate so if you're growing um your prized tomatoes and you want to um, avoid it getting an infestation um plant some tomatoes down right at the end of the allotment and those can be your sacrificial <laughs> or you know your whatever your brassicas they can be your sacrificial brassicas that you've understood are going to be completely destroyed but it will save the others so things like that i think are really really intelligent and they they um yeah anything that attracts and like attracts um a natural yeah. um predator yeah, you know there's nasturtiums yeah. as well. if you don't nasturtiums deter um predators if you plant them with vegetables yeah i think so and then there's also lady ladybirds as well plant things that ladybirds like um to help with aphids because um, ladybirds are natural predators of aphids so yeah. I think those those things are really interesting and that's um I think it's such a clever approach as well because by doing that you're also you're you're putting more plants in the ground instead of instead of destroying <laughs> instead of going in with this attitude of I'm going to destroy all of this stuff and like spray it all down kill everything um instead of that it's like well I'm also it's also taking into account that gardening involves you know pests and we have i think the way we label things is also a bit of an issue like um weeds are seen as quite negative and i remember someone um shared an article that they'd seen about it wasn't an article it was in um it was in a reference book in a gardening reference book um and the language was so aggressive it was the war on weeds we have to wage war on them like eradicate and it's kind of like you know if you're if you're just growing for yourself you can just hand pick those weeds out there's no need to create this idea of you know they're the worst thing that's going to happen because um not all weeds are going to completely destroy your garden and sometimes the the thing that the thing that um would help is being able to identify weeds because if you can identify whether a weed is annual or perennial yeah. it will tell you how you need to deal with it like if you've got an annual like um chickweed for example you can just hoe that off um in on a sunny day it will dry out and then the next day you can rake it up it's so it's a quick job but if you don't know if you if you don't realize you're working with um a perennial if you try and hoe it off and then it keeps coming back it might get to a point where you have to just get rid you might you might feel like the only option is to use pesticides but then you know what you actually had to do was just dig them out which takes a bit longer but is probably a lot less yeah. destructive but i think if we change our approach with the whole like pests and um like fungus as well like having having fungi in the in the soil is is 
very beneficial. And there's obviously some that aren't beneficial, especially when you're growing seedlings, like there's damping off, which isn't great. Um, but I think you have to kind of just find the balance because ultimately you're working, you're working in the garden um, and there will be pests. Uh, there will be insects that eat that plant. That's just how it's always been. Um, and yeah, it's, I always think little, often, little and often is the way to go. Um, and yeah, and you can, if you're planting things to attract natural predators, you know, that might also be a beneficial plant for pollinators. You know, you're, you're doing, a, I think you're doing a lot more good if you find other little ways around it than just spraying things down. Yeah, and I think we're also, these days, we're more accepting of, or we're almost encouraging as well, um, people to keep a few weeds in the garden because, mm -hmm. you know, things like nettles are good for butterflies, aren't they? Yeah. Um, dandelions are good for bees aren't they so you know we it's it is good to leave some a few around I mean I don't I've never I'm never going to have a perfectly manicured garden anyway because I've got a child and a dog um but yeah I do I do keep that in mind I have a few nettles on the front garden and I kind of just accept that they're there yeah <laughs> yeah I'm out of control I don't mind if there's a few there because I think well it's good to keep a few isn't it yeah, yeah, definitely. And they all have benefits. I think sometimes they're kind of, we, we're kind of basing our opinion of what a garden should look like on potentially very old fashioned ideas yes. of gardens where they have to be perfectly manicured and um, where there's no, there's no um, scope for imperfections. Yeah. I think one of the best things about about a garden is when there are imperfections. I, I thought it was quite an interesting contrast because um, I, I go to Kew all the time. I go as, as often as I can um, uh, just because I, I love it there. I think, I think it's amazing. It's obviously quite a manicured garden, um, obviously, but it's not, not so much now just because they haven't got as many people working there because of COVID, but um, it it usually is very striking like even things like when you think of edging the edging is always so perfect like on the grass everything's very sharp and it's very satisfying to look at but then when you go to Wakehurst the I think they called it the wild sister garden of Kew I think that's what they call it um it's so rugged and that's more where what I enjoy that's 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 more what I like and I like to see things growing um a little bit more freely um because I think sometimes we can kind of cut things right down and get it really um really neat looking um but then it almost doesn't look like an inviting space because <laughs> it's like well I don't really want to am I really going to stand on that perfectly manicured lawn because it looks too perfect and I always find I gravitate naturally towards more rugged I mean Wakehurst was incredible I that was uh, that was just a fascinating place to go there was just oh it's just it was just amazing but um yeah, I think I think we need to kind of move away from that old fashioned idea. I, I did a bit of research recently into lawns and the history of lawns. Um, and yeah, it has got quite it's got quite um, a funny um, past. It was it was very much for the nobles. It was for the rich and the royals. And it was very much shut away on their estates um, and the lawn as we know it. So not like wild chamomile lawns, but like the grass lawn as we know it only really entered um, the kind of public sphere um, fairly recently um, in the form of parks. Um, and sometimes those places were open to the public, those like kind of shut off estates, um, but they they were meant to be a sign of wealth. And it's still something that you see now where 
I think in particular, you've got that idea. It's almost like the American dream of the picket, white picket fence with the perfectly manicured lawn. Um, but ultimately, you've just got a monoculture uh, and a lot of people are stripping that away now and they're growing food or they're growing um, they're growing flowers that attract pollinators or um, I, I know someone who who grows lots of milkweed for monarch butterflies and that's just amazing. Um, everyone's we try, we're trying to move away from that because actually it didn't really serve people um, and having a lawn's great it's somewhere you can sit and play and especially when you have um, children and family to have that space is great but I, there's something quite sad about a huge lawn um, that could be used for so many different things. Uh, I always think of golf courses. That's always my first thought. Um, and those places are truly not allowed to just be wild. They have to be clipped to, yeah. I think it's something like three millimeters. It's so, it, <laughs> I don't know. They just make me a little bit sad, but um, yeah, I think we're definitely moving away from that. Yeah. I don't mind seeing a weed every now and then. Yeah. Um, I actually, since I've been learning about them and, and it's so fun to like learn the names of plants um, anyway. But when I see a weed now, I'm not thinking I need to pull that out of the ground. I'm thinking, oh, what's it called? What's the family from? Like, you know, you, you make those connections instead. And I think if we had a shift in mindset about um, the things we call weeds and pests, it would probably make it a little bit more enjoyable as well. Yeah, I think you're right. And yeah, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned the terminology, the idea of weeds and pests. It just has such negative connotations, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, maybe we should move away from that um well, yeah. we are moving away but you know the mm. public should move away from that yeah wholly um yeah going back to something you mentioned earlier then you talked about community gardens um that being yeah. an interest um that's something that is um talked about quite often these days isn't it about um the benefits of gardening and people and bringing people yeah. together um, so is that something you've learned about recently? Well, it's something that I really wanted to get involved in, but unfortunately, because of the pandemic, it's been really difficult. Um, and I've been getting in touch with loads of people and they've said, oh, we've just had to close or we can't, you know. But I think just in general, um, community gardens, in particular in a place like London, where, um, where green spaces are limited and green spaces that aren't parks in particular are quite limited um i think it's really important to have those um and it's it's expensive um london's very expensive to live in and having a green space in it is even more expensive so um having a community space where people can come together and take care of the place together is it's so important um i recently signed up this is the extent of my community um gardening involvement um just because just because i i'm trying but i can't there's 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 nowhere really that's taken anyone at the moment um and most places are shut but um i signed up for a veg box which i think is it's something that i couldn't do when i lived on a boat because um we moved all the time we didn't have a permanent address mm -hmm. um but now that i had i mean i signed up within a few days of moving into this this flat that we're in now um and it's just i just love it because i'm i'm getting vegetables that were grown by farmers um who are nearby um yeah. in the kind of region that i live in um and not necessarily in london but um in surrounding areas and like and it might sound silly but when i when i take like a parsnip out of this bag and it's still covered in soil that makes me very happy because you kind of have seen the process of like i know that that came out of the ground um this morning um 
and has been packaged up and it says like on the bag it even says it's supported by the soil association and every bag you get is is i think it's got like five or six different growers have contributed to that um i think that's community that's like that's the the essence of community um and everyone meeting like coming to this one shed where we pick up our thing and seeing all those bags and knowing that like you know your your neighbors and probably one of our neighbors um is probably part of that scheme it's really yeah it's it's really um it's really important and i've seen lots of community gardens especially along the canals because um there's a lot of green space along the canal that's kind of not tended to um it's kind of it's it's that kind of um shrubby quite weedy um area by the towpath that yeah. just gets like a strim every every year and it's like a mass strim where it's all cut back to the ground and that's all that happens to it but some people have actually started little community gardens where they'll they'll put plants um in these boxes and they'll kind of build these raised beds and put the plants in and there's there was something really beautiful about it because those people because um the people on that part of the towpath have to be continuous cruisers they have to move every two weeks yeah. an average of one mile every two weeks so by the time those plants are um flowering they have most certainly moved away but for them it wasn't about seeing the thing it was about planting it so that someone else could see it yeah. um and that yeah for me that kind of sums up community gardening i think it's yeah i think it's um a really valuable resource uh, especially in built-up cities yeah. Um, and it kind of makes people it, it gives them a chance to connect with it as well, because some people, if you've grown up in a city, you might not have had that experience. Um, if you grew up um, without a garden, your only experience of gardening might come from a community project like this. And you might realize, actually, this is the career I want. You know, it kind of it sparks all of that as well. Um, there's that side to it. Yeah, yeah. we've become well, and particularly probably from the 60s to the more recent times, we've become so removed from um, you know, living um, close to nature in a way, like you said about receiving your veg box, um, knowing that's been grown locally, it connects us to nature, doesn't it? Whereas yeah, for the past few decades, a lot of people get their food from supermarkets and it just has no real meaning, does it? Um, it doesn't yeah. connect to nature in the same way. Exactly. And it's, it's just that it's that reminder you can't see the you can't see the process can you like when you go to a shop and you yeah you pick up um yeah your your bag of per or like not even not even a bag of vegetables um a bag of peeled yeah. carrots you know you don't that you can't see it i don't think the connection is there at all um and instead of seeing um what it actually is which is something that's been grown and it's taken a long time to grow and a lot of effort's been put into growing that um you just see food and you just see it's something that you know and it is food but it's you know it's also something else it's something that someone's put work into to yeah. grow um and we are we are i think we are a bit removed from that but i think we're getting back um as well and it's yeah. flowers as well there are a lot of um flower farms mm. um, increase there's increasingly more and more um yeah around the country and that's something i'm quite interested in i like the idea of having a, a little flower farm I don't know yeah. about getting the land to do that, but it's just something I was watching. Um, it was again one of those seminars, it was with Nigel Dunnett. Um, and he made such a good point about the purpose of garden design for him. Um, and I think it's it's the purpose of garden design for everyone. So, um, when he plants, 
he um, takes into account, he's kind of planting for the world we live in now. He's not planting the way that some people or like some approaches to horticulture are where it's kind of trying to be in keeping with the way that horticulture has always been done. Um, he has planted for people now. So for example, when he designed the um, Olympic Park, he um, he started noticing once that once it had been planted up that there were loads of patches where people had been treading on the on the plants, yeah. and he's saying I don't mind that um, because that means that they were trying to get in and they were trying to get into it and see the plants and um, smell the plants and interact with them. And what he actually did is he took some of those spaces and he um, actually cleared them and yeah. made spaces for people to take photos because that's what people do now. That's how they document seeing these things. Um, and if, if it's a photo of you with some plants that sparks that love of nature, um, that's so important. And you have to kind of, it doesn't matter what you're planting. It has to kind of spark this, like, um, I don't know, this love for it. And I think, I think seeing those flower farms I've seen I can't remember what it's called but I saw one it was something about confetti it was almost like a confetti it just looked like this farm was just so full of flowers and it literally did it just looked like confetti had been sprinkled all over this like this field and um these people walking through it and loads of people taking photos for Instagram and I think there's almost this judgment of um oh they're just taking the photo for Instagram no but they love being here and they're showing it to people and other people are going to want to visit that place and there's nothing wrong with documenting it and like finding that love of plants um you have to you have to kind of plant and think for the people now and the people now want to document things um so it needs to be really beautiful um and it's okay to plant just beautiful stuff because actually if you're trying to reach people who don't have the horticulture knowledge which isn't you know a lot of people don't because it's we're so removed from it now um some people won't they won't look at a plant and go oh like the structural integrity of this thing that some, some people just want to look at a pretty flower and that's yeah. perfectly fine um yeah and if that if that's what gets them interested in thinking about nature then that's it yeah, yeah. I love to look at pictures of flowers yeah Instagram it's yeah I don't know why I obviously I love to look at them in in you know reality as well mm. but I just love I do love it and my my son I was always saying, oh, you're looking at pictures of flowers again. <laughs> but <laughs> no, I just love it. And I, it's because I'm looking. I'm looking for things that I want to grow in my garden. So I yeah. get inspiration from other people. And I learn about, you know, different varieties and things. And I think, oh, I'm going to grow that next year. Um, yeah. Oh, it's so exciting. I think the planning process is one of the most exciting parts about oh, gardening. Definitely. Oh, it's so, it's so really, much fun. I love it. I love, I've got like, my, all my wish lists for farming. Mm. And I've got... Yeah seeds as well I've got my little wish list of seeds that I'm going to grow in the spring that's what I'm doing at the moment I do really miss being in the garden at the moment mm. um, yeah but yeah you know, I'm struggling with the with the weather and the, the like dark evenings or well dark afternoons really um that's been quite tricky um to try and get out in the garden and do stuff but also like this time of year it's not really there's things you can do. I think obviously if you're growing things like vegetables, there's so much you can do at the moment. Yeah. Um, but for the, the plans I've got for this garden, which needs a complete renovation, um, I can't really do any of that work at the moment. And it's kind of, I'm kind of itching to go in. <laughs> I keep looking at the garden. I'm like, oh, I just want to, I just want to do it. And I can't, because um, I know, you know, if I, if I plant this thing at the wrong time, there's literally no point. I just have to wait. Um, and that's, it's a bit like torture, but it's okay. Because I know that, 
you know in, in a couple of months I'll be able to do it all um and yeah spring spring is going to be very very busy but that's fine <laughs> yeah. tell me more, more about a little bit before we finish because I appreciate you have been talking for an hour now um tell me about your garden then what does your garden look like and what kind of plan what plans have you got yeah so um so the garden is it's quite small. It's got um, like a gravel pathway down to a little gate. Um, I've put some hanging pots that I had on the bow. I've put them on the gate and they look quite nice. Um, I think it's like some ferns. I love ferns so much. Um, so I've got a little path and to the right of it, there's, um, it's like a raised bed, but it's empty. And the soil has been kind of, I don't know why, but the soil's gone. <laughs> so there's no soil in it. Um, and there's nothing much in there um, except for a few little weeds and, um, there's some calla lilies but they're poisonous for cats so unfortunately I'm gonna have to remove I've removed one of them I'm gonna have to remove the second one because we've got a cat um, and then there's a patch of what I think was once lawn um, but there's nothing on it it's just it's just soil it's very very heavy it's it's the most clay soil I've ever encountered like I was able to not just make a ball out of it um, I was able to make a small figurine out of it it was so <laughs> it was so heavy so um yeah then around the edge there's a bit of bamboo and the bamboo is kind of getting out of control so I removed a bit of that um there's a seating area that's paved which is great I've got some um some bulbs sitting on there um in pots um that I'd planted on the boat so I've got maybe like 10 pots full of bulbs which are kind of starting to spring up now um there's a little greenhouse um I'm growing some erigeron um covincianus so a little bit of Mexican fleabane um my plan is to plant a um it's like a wildflower um meadow on where the lawn was because the lawn is not used at all so um I've got I've actually got the seed now um it's just for like a heavy it's um a lot of like knapweed it's lots of purples um yeah so that's quite exciting I'm going to be planting that in um in spring when it starts to warm up um and it's for very heavy clay soils which is just what I needed and then that little that little raised bed that's got no soil in now um I actually part of the reason I was at Q was to do a bit of research into what plants I want to use um I'm going to make that into a mini rock garden um so I've got some plant pots that uh, were left by a previous tenant I think um and they're really <laughs> they're really ugly um I really don't like them they're like white they're really white and like modern looking which isn't my scene at all um so what I'm going to do is actually smash them up um I'm going to break them into bits and then I'm going to use them to kind of create a stepped garden in that little thing like a rock garden that has different levels um and I'm going to put uh things like lavender it's going to be a combination rock garden and drought tolerant garden um and I'm planning on putting lots of ferns in it but also lots of um I don't even know what to call them they're well they're like um saxifraga that kind of saxifragaceae family um those kind of very small almost succulent looking creeping yeah. plants um yeah i'm basically going to recreate the the south african and south american rock garden mm. at kew in my tiny little garden in london so um that's yeah that's my plan i haven't got much to work with but that's quite nice because it yeah. means that i'm just starting fresh really yeah, I hope you'll put some pictures of that on Instagram. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm going to do some before and afters. I need to take a lot of pictures now just to yeah. show. Um, can't wait to, to kind of compare to what it'll look like in a year. Oh, thank you so much for talking to me. Um, oh, it's lovely. Now, I appreciate it. It's been an hour, but it's been really, really interesting. Definitely. Um, it's, yeah, horticulture is a subject that you can just go on and on about, can't you? Cause oh, definitely. Yeah. So many <laughs> to it and 
yeah the environmental aspect and the, the mental health aspect is just oh, definitely i find it fascinating that's that's why i've set up the podcast really because i want to talk to people about these things yeah exactly that's no it's, it's really good it's really helpful as well you get so many different perspectives people in my immediate family um like i do have a few friends who like plants but people in my immediate family aren't that interested um so i thought i would have <laughs> talk to people about these things who have a common interest and i thought well might as well a way to do that would be by you know doing a podcast yeah no it's a really good idea i know that i find that um i'll start talking to someone um maybe sometimes my husband i start talking to him about um about plants and i kind of see his eyes glaze over a little and you're like ah. <laughs> I've gone on too much about this very yeah, yeah. I know it's like it's just it must sound so you know boring to people who aren't yeah. Yeah. and yeah I could just go on about it all the time but yeah me too <laughs> I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Wildberry Podcast. To find out more about Wildberry, you can follow me on Instagram at wildberryflora or see my blog at wildberryflora.wordpress.com. See you next time.